Hey, Kevin, good morning, friends. Good morning. Lovely to see you. Lovely to be here, as always, uh, in Paynton. A beautiful drive down. I always enjoy particularly the drive to you, uh, particularly after Exeter and Holden Hill. It's lovely. If you've got a physical copy of the scriptures on you, you may not, of course, you may be using your phone or, or tablet or so forth, but I'd like you just to do a, a little um, experiment. I'd like you to find the book of Ruth, please. If you'd like to find the book of Ruth in your Bible and just tick, stick your finger in where that is, I want you to just notice something. So if you find the book of Ruth, there we go. Okay. And particularly what I want you to look at, this isn't very scientific, but I just want you to look at the number of pages that come before the book of Ruth there. And the reason this is significant is because as you go through the book of Ruth and as we look at chapter 2, there's something you need to appreciate about the order where Ruth comes in the scriptures. And what I want you to appreciate is this. All of these books here in God's Word so far have, largely speaking, been presented in a linear way. That is, starting from the act of creation, this happened, and this happened, and then this happened, and this happened. So all these are linear events. And the book of Ruth begins, I know I'm preaching on chapter 2, but just read you the first, uh, the, the first verse here. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. So in other words, Ruth is the first time where we just go backwards. We are just going back into that time of Judges, that if you're reading the Bible in order, if you're doing your Bible in a year and reading it chronologically, we're now going back into that same time that we've just read about. Why is this significant? It's significant because the book of Ruth is set in a time period which we are already told in the book of Judges is an horrific time and horrific stain on the history of the Hebrew people. That little refrain, and again the Israelites did evil in the sight of the Lord, appears well over 40 times in the book of Judges. The book of Judges is about the big picture things that are happening in the Hebrew nation at that time. It's talking about big picture stuff, high level politics, of how the nation was developing and moving forward. And things were going wrong, generation after generation after generation, where people would ignore God's word, go their own way, the wheels would all come off, and then God would raise up a new judge, a new leader, and for a time things would look like they were going to be okay again on a national level. But do you know what? And then, once again, the Israelites did evil in the sight of the Lord. And at that national level, there was corruption, there was selfishness, there was ungodliness, there was failure of leadership, and it happened year after year, time and time and time again. And if you read the book of Judges carefully, and you sit down and you read it in one go, you should rightly be pretty depressed by the time you get to the end, because it's a scourge. Uh, please hear me correctly. I'm not saying the word of God is a scourge. I'm saying the events which it records are a scourge. So where do we find hope? Where do we find the seed of the gospel in this period of Israel's history? The next thing the scriptures do is say, well, hold on a minute. Let's just back up. Let's just go back in to that time period, the period when the judges 
ruled the land. And let's stop looking at the national leaders. Let's stop looking at the big picture stuff of what was happening. Let's go and drill down and look at one family. Let's go and see through the faithfulness of one family and, in fact, the faithfulness of this one young woman who wasn't even a Hebrew, how God continued to steer his purposes on. You know, Ruth, as we're told in chapter 1, and yes, I will be preaching on chapter 2, but I just feel I need to say these things. Ruth was a Moabite. In the Psalms, the people from Moab are referred to as people who come from God's wash pot. You know that's a euphemism, don't you? It effectively means God's toilet. The Moabites, Moabites, were people who had descended from incest. Sorry if that offends some of your younger ears, but that's the reality of it. That was recorded in the scriptures. And so the Moabites were not regarded as people who were particularly clean or good or, or acceptable within this sacrificial system. And yet it is Ruth who, by her keep calm and carry on attitude, her faithfulness within her family relationships, within the integrity in which she deals with the little things in life, continues to find the flame of God's faithfulness in her generation. She doesn't even realize it. She's not being pious. She's not being holier than thou. Ruth doesn't wander around in chapter 2 or the four chapters of Ruth, lauding that she is going to be the one from whom the Christ will come, for that's where Ruth chapter 4 ends up. The descendants of Ruth ends up in the very genealogy that Matthew gives at the beginning of his gospel, that she is in the line of Christ. She's wonderful. She doesn't know any of those things, but she's faithful. And so when we read the book of Ruth, when we read chapter 2, we have to put it in the context of who she is, and how shall it be regarded as the people around her, which is the lowest of the low, but also as well the times in which she are living, which are hard times, dark times, times that lack integrity, times which lack leadership, times which lack goodness and wholesomeness. A few years ago, there was a wonderful story in the paper about a lady, there's a few of these stories that come up sort of every few years, but it was a particularly good one. A lady who about 30, 40 years previously had been gardening and lost her wedding ring. I mean, I got my wedding ring off for 20 years, so goodness knows how that happened, but there we go. She also kept herself in better shape than myself. She lost her wedding ring in the garden, and then as she was pulling the carrots, years later, the wedding ring appeared around one of the carrots. Probably then looked like my wedding ring on my finger, because she'd have to chop it to get it off. But that beautiful, that beautiful sign of purity, that beautiful symbol of love found deep in the dirt. Do you worry ever, I'll come back to this at the end, do you worry ever about where it's all going? Do you ever worry about that? Do you ever sort of wake up in the night and think, well, what's it going to be like in 10 years and 20 years and 30 years? Well, this is a, a book of hope for us. So what I'm going to do this morning is I'm going to 
I'm going to read the book of Ruth, sorry, not the book, I'm going to read the chapter of Ruth 2, but I'm going to read a few verses and say a few things, and read a few verses and say a few things, okay? And that's the way I'm going to do it, because essentially, Ruth 2 and the whole of Ruth is a narrative, it's a beautiful narrative, it's a beautiful love story. It's history, it happened, okay, it's not a myth, it happened, but it's a beautiful, beautiful story, and um, we're going to sort of dwell in it and really try and understand it as we go through. So um, I am just going to start actually with Ruth 1.22. That's where I'm going to start. So Naomi returned from Moab, accompanied by Ruth the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law, arriving in Bethlehem as the barley harvest was beginning. So Naomi has lost her sons. She's lost her husband. She had these two daughter-in-laws. Um, this, this famine has begun in the land, and she, she needs to go uh, back to Bethlehem. And uh, she convinces one of the daughter-in-laws not to go with her. She says, look, don't come with me. You're a Moabitess. Don't come back to Bethlehem. It's really not worth it. You're not going to be that welcome there. And uh, she does relent and leaves her. But Ruth, Ruth doesn't. In fact, forgive me, I, I am going to diverge slightly. This may have been last week, but I, I think I just have to say it. As far as I'm aware, and I might be wrong, Ruth 1.16 is uh, is a really, really important verse because this is a verse where Ruth effectively converts to Judaism. She converts to Judaism. She says in Ruth 1.16, but Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. Ruth makes this full commitment both to Naomi, her mother-in-law, and also the faith of Naomi, and, and uh, Ruth converts to Judaism at that point. So Ruth's all in. She knows what she's going to do. They get back just as the barley harvest is about to start. So Ruth chapter 2. Now Naomi had a relative on her husband's side from the clan of Elimelech, that's the, the husband that died, whose name was Boaz. Boaz means strength. Okay, that's what the name Boaz means. So let that conjure up the women, particularly those of you here. Let conjure up. I don't know who you want in your mind. Um, uh, uh, Kevin Cosner. I don't know. I, I'm not very good at these sort of things. Who was the chap that played Gladiator? Um, the Australian guy, Russell Crowe. You know. Um, Kevin, you know, whoever you like, okay, get, get that sort of image of Boaz in, in your mind, okay. And, and Ruth, the Moabite, said to Naomi, let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone in whose eyes I find favour. So Ruth and Naomi were, were desperately poor people, okay. They turned back up to Bethlehem. All Alex land had been sold. Uh, they had nothing. And Ruth makes this suggestion. Um, and the suggestion is based upon Leviticus 19.9. In Leviticus 19.9, it says, God says to his people, when you reap the harvest of your land, do not reap to the very edges of your field or gather gleanings from your harvest. And the reason for that was that there would be there would be stuff left over for the poor. 
So Ruth's suggestion is a good one because she knows that godly people, people who are, are um, going to do those sort of things, will leave about 10% unharvested um, to be taken advantage of by people in need. In this way, it was supposed to be the case that amongst God people, there would be no starving people, but there would also be no need for charity per se. There was no destroying of dignity because the people who needed food could go and get food. But she doesn't know where she's going. She doesn't know she's going to find Boaz. Listen, to, um, listen again. Naomi said to her, go ahead, my daughter. So she went out, entered the field, and began to glean behind the harvesters. As it turned out, in other words, she didn't know, she was working in a field that began to Boaz, belong to Boaz, who was from the clan of Elimelech, her late father-in-law. So as she would have walked out to these fields, it's very likely that she may have walked uh, along a shepherd's, uh, a section of land called Shepherd's Fields, which is still there um, as you go out from Jerusalem towards Bethlehem, or Bethlehem towards Jerusalem, mostly flats, and she might have been looked into different fields, deciding, shall I go in here, shall I go in there? Maybe that some of the fields she looks in, I don't think I'll go in there. They, they, I don't think that you know a woman in her early 20s, a beautiful young woman, is very safe in there. Or they're gleaning up to the edges. Maybe they're not godly people. But she finds this field. She, this is a safe place to be. So she goes in and, and she, starts, she starts gleaning. And it turns out it's Boaz's field. Of course, it's a coincidence. No, it's not. Of course, it's not a coincidence. The point is she didn't know. You know, this is, this, is a really, this is a really important point. She doesn't know where she's ended up. She's just, no, she's not going out to, to try and get into the line of the, uh, of the coming Messiah. She's just going out to try and get some food. But God's hand is on her life. God's providence is, is, is on her life and on his people. And at a national level, in the book of Judges, it's all going wrong. But through the faithfulness of this young woman in this relationship, in this family, God is working. God works in the most unexpected places. Do you know that? He really does. He, he, he really does. Just then, Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters. The Lord be with you. Came in this field. The Lord be with you. Lord be with you. Good morning, folks. Good morning. The Lord bless you, they answered, as Boaz is there. And Boaz asked the overseer of his harvesters, who does that young woman belong to? Now, when you read that from the pulpit, you read like this. Boaz asked the overseer of his harvesters, who does that young woman belong to? It's a love story. It's probably more like, hey, who's the girl? I'm not trying to make it something that's not or read into the text, but that's what's going on here. Who's the girl? Because Boaz wasn't there when she came and it was the foreman that would let her in. You know, he's just greeted his workers. He's, he's greeted his workers. And, well, who is she? Well, verse 6, the overseer replied, she is a Moabite who came back from Moab with Naomi. She said, Please let me glean and gather among the sheaves behind the harvesters. She came into the field and remained here from morning till now, except for a short rest in the shelter. So, you know, she's turned up, she's doing what she's allowed to do, and she's been working really hard. 
just didn't get on with it. And Boaz is impressed. Boaz is impressed. Listen to uh, 8 and 9. So Boaz said to Ruth, my daughter, listen to me. Don't go and join in another field. Don't go away from here. Stay here with the women who work for you. In other words, you know, draw close, stay safe. I've already been told you're a Moabite. Not, you know, the most safest place to be necessarily. Watch the field where the men are harvesting and follow along after the women. I've told them not to lay a hand on you. Whenever you're thirsty, go and get a drink from the water jars. The men have filled. So not only can you glean while it's in God's law, but let me protect you. Let me offer you drink. Okay? Stay with my women. Stay with my team. Well, she never expected any of this. This was far beyond what she expected. This is what, not what Naomi told her it'd be like. Naomi had, pro- had already got rid of one daughter-in-law, not because she didn't like her, but because she was so worried about the way in which she was going to be received in Bethlehem. So Naomi was sort of, would at this point be thinking, well, you know, she should have come too. This is, this is great. Verse 10, this, she bowed down with her face to the ground. She asked, why have I found such favor in your eyes that you notice me? A foreigner. So why? It's a question she asks. Boaz tells her. It's very simple. The answer is all there in the text. Well, Boaz replied, I've been told all about what you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband. He wasn't told that by the foreman. He, it's now twigged. Her reputation has preceded her. Now he knows who she is, and the foreman's told information. This is this. Isn't it? This is Naomi. Sorry, this is Ruth. Sorry, Naomi's daughter-in-law. I've been told all about what you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband and how you left your father and mother and your homeland and came to live with a people you did not know before. May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. So yeah, it is a story. Sorry, it is a love story. I'm sure he did say, Who's the girl? But also, why why are you being so good to me? Why are you going above and beyond, Boaz? It's not because he's being inappropriate. It's because saying, I've heard about you. I think you deserve respect. You deserve protection. You deserve looking after. You deserve care. May I continue to find favor in your eyes, my lord? She said, you have put me at ease by speaking kindly to your servant, though I do not have the standing of one of your servants. So she recognizes, there's a humility about her. She recognizes um, uh, that she is in a really kind man's presence. Well, things start to blossom a little bit. Things do start to blossom because as time goes on, she carry on gleaning with the other women, having the drink when she needs it. And then 14 at mealtime, Boaz said to her, come over here. Have some bread and dip it in the wine vinegar. Okay, so I'm not just cleaning. I haven't just got protection. I haven't just got the opportunity to go. I've got a meal now. This is really, really kind. Really kind. She um, Later on, you'll see, she pushes it a little bit because she asked for a doggy bag. <laughs> you see, you'll see. When she sat down with the harvesters, he offered her some roasted grain. She ate all she wanted 
and had some left over. As she got up to glean, Boaz gave orders to his men, let her gather among the sheaves and do not reprimand her. So when she was gleaning, she would have been walking behind. So the men would have been harvesting and they would have been, you know, gathering the, the grain and then what would drop down on the floor would be what she could glean. Now he's saying, no, get right in there, Ruth. It's okay. You know, you are really being drawn in now to the situation. Even pull out some stalks from the bundles and leave them for her to pick up. Do not rebuke her. He's really, he's, he's really sort of, you know, developing this, isn't he? He's being very kind um, because of her goodness, but also as well, it is a love story. So she gets home, and of course, after all this, I mean, she's going to look like she's had a hard day's work, which she has, but the amount of grain she's going to have is going to be rather exceptional, after all of that, getting in the links of sheaves and the, the workers pulling out stuff and chucking it on the ground for her to get. And she's going to be a little bit more sprightly than she might have been because she's been given a hot meal and joys throughout the day and shelter and so forth. So she gets home to her mother-in-law. Um, now, so Ruth greened in the field until the evening. Then she threshed the barley that she gathered and it amounts about an ether. She carried it back to town, and her mother-in-law saw how much she gathered. And then it's thought, what have you been doing? Where have you got this amount of grain, this amount of blessing from? Ruth also brought out what Orta uh, uh, gave her, what she had left over when she'd eaten enough. See, she had a doggy bag. She brought home the rest of the meal. I don't know what, what that's like when you have a meal and you have some left over, but apparently people do. <laughs> And she took it home. Her mother-in-law asked her, well, again, this is how you read it in a pulpit. Her mother-in-law asked her, where did you glean today? Where did you work? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. The way it would have been said is, where have you been today? This is unbelievable. This is exceptional. How have you got this much stuff? Where have you worked? Bless this man who took notice of you. Because you have not merely been you know, taking advantage of Leviticus 19.19, not that she would have known the chapter and verse, this someone has gone above and beyond in this situation. So Ruth tells her mum the story. And in verse 20, we have the pivot of this whole little love story. Because remember, chapter 1 starts with everything going downhill. Okay, things could not be getting worse for this family. And here's the pivot. Then Ruth told her mother-in-law about the one at whose place she had been working, the name of the man who worked today, Boaz, she said, the Lord bless him. Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, he has not stopped showing kindness to the living and the dead. She added, that man is our close relative. He is one of our guardian redeemers now now we know this piece of information everything's about to change remember when boaz first came in the field he didn't know who she was he got enough information to work out who she was and he would have almost certainly known his position and naomi knows who he is he's in the clan we were let in on that by the author of the book at the beginning of the chapter he was in the clan of ruth's late father-in-law elimelech now 
going to read you just a few verses here and there. Listen to this. This is from Leviticus 25. Uh, just a couple of verses. If one of your fellow Israelites becomes poor and sells some of the property, as happened with Elimelech, their nearest relative is to come and redeem what they have sold. So if I sell some property that I have and my brother hears about it and he wants to buy it back, then he can do so as any profit. Okay, so it's always the possibility for that to come back. If, however, there is no one to redeem it for them, but later on they prosper and acquire sufficient means to redeem it, they can do it themselves. So if the brother can't do it, the nearest relative can do it. And then if I get my feet back again later on, then in the uh, year of Jubilee, I can buy it back too. So this family have become destitute. They've lost everything. Um, the land that Elimelech had can come back and a brother can buy it back or the person themselves can buy it back or a near relative can buy it back. In other words, the kinsman redeemer. And that's why Naomi's ears pick up when she realizes, well, hang on, Boaz, he's been really showing you some kindness. There's a lot more kindness he could show us, Ruth. Okay, he has got the power to show us a lot of kindness. And now just another verse I want to share with you. Deuteronomy 25, 5. This is my wife's least favorite verse in the whole Bible. If brothers are living together and one of them dies without her son, his widow must not marry outside the family. Her husband's brother shall take her and marry her and fulfill the duty of brother-in-law to her. Yeah, I met my brother. <laughs> but we've already got a son, so that's okay, all right? So uh, if you need that explaining to you afterwards, ask a, ask a friend, all right? Okay, so if, if you're married... Uh, and, and the husband dies, no children, then your brother is, uh, 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 and your brother marries, sorry, then your brother-in-law is obliged to marry you and give you a child. And so the first child is the heir of the dead father's estate, and that way it stays within the family. So the kinsman redeemer can redeem property, but also redeem a wife. But the important thing is this, he can do one or the, sorry, he can do both, not just one or the other. What does that mean? The kinsman redeemer can't say, I'll redeem your property, but not take you on as a wife. And the kinsman redeemer can't say, I'll take you on as a wife, but I'm not interested in doing the, the bit that cost the money with the property. If you're going to redeem, you have to redeem the property and the relationship. So Naomi points out that he is one of the kinsman redeemers. He could redeem Elimelech's land that was sold off when they went to Moab, and he could redeem Ruth. So it's all getting exciting now, exciting now. Then Ruth the Moabite said, he even said this to me. Stay with my workers until they finish harvesting my grain. Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, it will be good for you, my daughter, to go with the women who work with him because in someone else's field, you might be harmed. So Ruth stayed close the women of Boaz to glean until the barley and the wheat harvests were finished. Now that's a considerable period of time because remember they got to Bethlehem as the barley harvest was starting. So she's gone all the way through the barley harvest and then into the wheat harvest and she stayed there day after day 
under the protection of Boaz, turning up, gleaning, gleaning the extract, picking up the bits that are being dropped, given the hot meal, given the drink, letting the love between them, or his love for her, develop. Unfortunately, I've got to leave it there because I've got to the end of Ruth too, but there's a few things I want to say about it. It is a beautiful story. It is a beautiful love story. It really is, and I hope that it makes a bit of sense when you look at the, the laws around the time of what was happening. Now, Psalm 37, 23 and 24 says this, The Lord directs the steps of the godly. The Lord directs the steps of the godly. He delights in every detail of their lives. Though they stumble, they will never fall, for the Lord holds them by the hand. There's three lessons that I just want to pull out briefly as we come to the end of this, chapter 2. First of all, faithfulness and kindness. This is a tiny little story. This is like looking at the, this is like you've just read the history of the last 200 years of the UK, and then you go and read the story about what family somewhere in those 200 years. That's the difference between going from Judges to Ruth, okay? So the big picture stuff has been awful, horrendous. Again, the Israelites did evil in the sight of the Lord. We go into this family, a little mixed family, with the Moabites and all of the baggage that brings and the famine, everything wasn't going well and so forth. But Ruth was exceptionally faithful to her mother-in-law. She showed great integrity. She showed great ability to be faithful with the little that she had been given. And Boaz showed exceptional kindness, exceptional kindness to this young woman. He was a gentleman, to put it in modern terms. Um, he, he did fulfill all of his obligations under the Levitical law, but he went much further than that, showing great, great. He didn't say, well, you can glean, and then you can clear off. He let her glean, he let her have more, and so forth. But I don't want to dwell on that too much because it's a, a moral conclusion, which I don't really want to land on. But what I do want to land on is, is, is this. Recently in my life, there have been a, a number of dear Christian friends, or older Christian friends, you know, at, at a ripe old age, who have been promoted to glory. In fact, one last week, you, some of you in here may know the name Basil Wright. You may not, of course, from a long way from home. But Basil was Gideon, and he was, uh, he was well into his 90s. He lost his wife last year, and uh, he was really, really foundational in my young Christian life. And Basil was the first person to say to me, and I was 17, I think you've got the gift for preaching. I'm going to take you to preach. And he took me to a little chapel called Henley Chapel on the uh, Somerset levels. In fact, I'm going there next week. Still go there. And I probably did a horrendous job. Some of you might think I did a horrendous job this morning. Okay, well, that's okay. Uh, I'll live with that. You don't have to book me again. But I probably did a horrendous job. But he was a, a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful encourager. I'm 40 now. I was 17 then. And as I visit churches all over the West Country, I've noticed something. And I don't want this to be uh, to, to sound negative, but it's just an observation. Maybe you've noticed the same thing. It's lovely to see the same old faces year in, year out. But I don't see many new ones in lots of churches. There's no criticism. 
It's just the reality. You're lots of faithful, godly people getting older and fewer new ones. It's lovely, always lovely to see young people. Please don't feel that I'm being anywhere negative, but fewer young people join. And sometimes if I wake up in the night and I'm looking at the ceiling and I'm just thinking about things, I've I got to be honest with you, it's a weakness. I worry about it. I worry about it. I think, so what, what happens in 10 years? What happens, you know, we've lost Basil. We've lost um, Grace. We've lost, you know, these other folk that I, I these great Christian people from my life that we've lost. Lord, where are, the, where are the new people coming in? Where are the new Christians? Where are the young Christians? Why are we losing them? Why aren't they coming? And if you, if you dwell on that too much, you go mad, don't you? But here is such hope in this story here is such hope in this book because the book of judges is dire it's all going wrong on a national scale year after year after year lack of leadership lack of integrity lack of godliness lack of goodness it just keeps going wrong and yet the change the turn the twist comes not upon necessarily a new leader or even a new revival although that does come obviously as we get towards you know at different times it ebbs and flows we've got a long time to get to christ in the story but it's through the faithfulness of a family that are going through some real difficulties because it is through this redeemed relationship of ruth that the line to christ continues i mean i i i'm going to be incredibly naughty because you are uh, you, you obviously will read it, but I'm sure most of you have read the book before. So where does it end up? It ends up with Ruth 4, that's uh, just Ruth 4.13. So Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. I don't think I'm spoiling anything here, okay? <laughs> then he went to her, great euphemism, and the Lord enabled her to conceive and she gave birth to a son. The woman said to Naomi, praise be to the Lord, who this day is not left you of Atkins and Redeemer. He, uh, may he become famous throughout Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. For your daughter-in-law, who loves you and who has bettered you seven sons, has given birth to him. Then Naomi took the child, laid him, this is Naomi's grandchild, laid him in her lap and cared for him. The woman living there said, Naomi has a son, and they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. This then is the family line of Perez. Perez was the father of Hezron. Hezron was the father of Ram. Ram the father of Anaminadab. Anaminadab the father of Nashon. Nashon the father of Solomon. Solomon the father of Boaz. Boaz the father of Obed. Obed the father of Jesse. Jesse the father of David. Turn to Matthew 1, you get to Jesus. Praise God. Praise his holy name. Or in the tiniest, most insignificant story you could pick out of all of that turmoil in Judges, the faithfulness of God to make sure his purposes come to pass is not lost. It's more than a, than a, than a wedding ring in, a, in an allotment. It's the tiniest diamond in all the sand in Devon if not the world. God is faithful. One of two things will happen. Of this I am convinced. 
there will be at some point a revival of the nations or Christ will return. But either way, God is faithful. So should you ever, like me, wake up at night, look at the ceiling, and think, Lord, where is it all going? Where the saints are being promoted to glory and their seats remain empty. Lord, where is it all going? Fear not, O Christian, but remain faithful in what you have been called to. Your marriages, your relationships with your children and your grandchildren, the relationships you have in the community and those things in ministry you've been given to do. Keep doing them in God's strength and love with integrity. Keep your eyes focused firmly on Christ who will either return in his glory or ensure that his glory is reinstated in the nations. But he is in the business of doing that. Oh, it's not in my time frame. But I thank God that I am not in charge. But he is. Bless you.